Grab your Bibles this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Talk about where we're headed, talk about where we've been. We are, this week we're going to finish chapter 2, we're going to go into chapter 3, and then next week we'll finish chapter 3, and that will be it for 2 Thessalonians. So this week and next week is the plan where we've been, uh, kind of the rhythm of Paul's writing here in 2 Thessalonians is here's a section, paragraph, thought, whatever you want to say, and then he follows that up with a prayer. And so we've seen that, well, we've seen that one and a half times so far. Chapter one, the thought is what? Persecution. You are a persecuted church. Uh, he talks about different things, and then he ends that section with this prayer. We, we notice in the prayer, it's for what? It's that you would be worthy of your calling. It would be that Jesus' name would be glorified. It's not that the persecution would go away. Okay, which is going to come back into what we look at this morning. Chapter 2, what's the topic? What's the, the paragraph there to start the chapter about? It's about this man of lawlessness. Did Jesus return? No, he didn't because the man of lawlessness hasn't come. And we've learned different things about him. And so what we ran out of time to do last week, that we're going to do this week, is we're going to work on this prayer that Paul would end that section with. Okay, so it's, it's not totally directly related, but it is immediately following after that. Okay, so so in, in, in light of Jesus' return, in light of the fact that there's going to be this man who's completely against Jesus, like here's what Paul would pray for the church. Okay, so, so let's just remind ourselves then what we talked about last week in chapter 2. Okay, man of lawlessness, how could we describe him in the shortest way possible? Probably the easiest way to say is he's going to be the exact opposite of Jesus. Right, Jesus comes to give life. He's known as the son of destruction. Jesus would, would come and preach truth. He comes and preach lies. Like whatever we'd say would be good and beautiful about Jesus, this, this son of destruction, the man of lostness, he's going to be pretty much the exact opposite. Okay, but, but the comfort and the hope in the midst of all this and, and as, as horrible as some of this sounds about the man of lawlessness, what we realize there in the middle of, of this paragraph is what? Is, is Paul which says that Jesus is going to come and he's going to slay this man. He's going to put him in his place. He's going to destroy him and not just him, but everything, everyone that's following him, this whole spirit of lawlessness, all of this is going to be done away with. And Jesus is going to do it how? With his breath. Like, like it's not, it might be an epic battle because of the numbers, and, but it's not going to be like, whoo, I wonder who's going to win. Right? Jesus would come and with, with the words that proceed out of his mouth, the man of lawlessness is put, put away. Okay, so, so here's, here's that's what we left last week. Right? Did, is Jesus coming back? That was their question. Uh, maybe he forgot about us. That's how we started chapter 2. Man of lawlessness, Jesus wins. Okay, so with that being said, we're going to dive in here into to chapter 2, verse 13. Not all of this is going to sound like a prayer, uh, but it's kind of all met together in his prayer. And, and what we'll see, and we'll make note of this later, but going into chapter 3, uh, we understand Paul didn't write in chapters, right? They didn't, when they read this letter, they didn't say chapter 1, verse 1. They just started reading. Okay, so we put in chapters later. Uh, we, my uneducated, not that smart in Greek, I feel like we put a chapter maybe in the wrong spot. So chapter 3 continues on this prayer, and so we're going to, continue on that thought of prayer. And so we'll go a couple verses into chapter 3 this morning. So with all that being said, let's read our text this morning, and then we'll dive into it. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 is where we're starting. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through the gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. 
Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for, they, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. All right, let's dive into our text, verse 13, chapter 2. Okay. Young church, immature church, right? P- potentially a year old, maybe three years old, probably not much older than that. What does Paul say to them? Like, like you've believed this lie of the man of law, not the man of law, but Jesus' second return and different things that have been spread around. And what does he say in verse 13? Right, me as a parent, I would, I would be like, come on, come on, kids, you knew better than that. Like some sort of lecture, some sort of like, I don't know. That would be my response. Paul's response to all of that, verse 13. We thank God always for you. Like, like Church of Thessalonica, I just, just want to remind you right from the get-go. Like, we struggle with different things. We're struggling with persecution in chapter 1. We're struggling with believing the wrong thing here in chapter 2. And Paul's first thought towards them in verse 13 is what we thank God for you. And then he reminds them of something. What does he remind them of? Look, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, what do he say? Beloved by the Lord. You are loved by God. Like, God hasn't forgotten you. That was the lie they believed, that somehow God forgotten, that God came back, Jesus came back, and he took his church with him and left the people in Thessalonica. Like you are too late, somehow you missed the boat, whatever the situation was, and you missed it. And he's like, no, 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 you, uh, I've been, been, you are loved by God. That is who you are right now. Let me remind you of that. Okay, and then he says, we're going to give thanks to you. Why? Because God has chosen you. That you is, is a collective plural type thing. All y'all, right? We're not really in the South, if you don't know that. Florida is not the South. But if we were in the South, we would say all y'all. Right? He's collected you plural, you as a church. He's, he's chosen you when? From the beginning. So already, what has Paul done to this church? He's, he's saying, we're giving thanks to you. God has he's chosen you. He loves you. And this isn't plan B. Right? When did he choose you? When did he do all these things? It says from the beginning. So you, church, in the midst of your persecution, this isn't a mistake. This isn't like, oh, shoot, we've got to think of something else because there's persecution. I wasn't planning on that. Like, no, God knows what's happening. He, he understands what's happening. Like, all this is going, going according to his plan. Like, he chose you for a reason. So we can thank God for that. But notice what he says. He says that he chose you from the beginning for what? For salvation. If you were to go dive into a theological textbook, not saying you should, not saying you shouldn't, but if you would, and you would go to the chapter on salvation, more often than not, they're going to talk about salvation in three different aspects. Right? So we read salvation, and, and more often than not, I think we think of the, the first idea. What's that? It's when we realize we're sinners, we realize we've broken God's law, we realize we deserve his punishment. And so what do we do is we repent of our sin. We say, I don't want this lifestyle anymore. God, I want you. And, and we would ask Jesus to save us from our sins. Okay, we would say that is salvation, and we kind of make that the word salvation, right? And I'm not trying to change that. This is what we do in America. Cool. Okay? But, but that's not the whole salvation. Like, that's not the whole picture. Right? Because, because that's just kind of like the beginning part, right? Like now we're saved, we've been justified, you'll see that word, which means we're declared righteous, our sin's not held to our account anymore. But, but what happens next in, in the, the biblical idea of salvation is what? It's this idea of sanctification. Like, like we're going to grow, and it's, it's not going to be not by you. I mean, you, there's effort involved in those things, but it's going to be, we're going to see here in the text, it's going to be by God. He's going to sanctify you. And then, and then the third aspect would be what? Would be glorification. 
That someday it's not this weak and frail body anymore. Someday it's not this struggle that I go through anymore. It's no longer sin. It's no longer pain. It's no longer any of those things, but I'm going to be glorified. So what does Paul say here? He says that, that God has chosen you from the beginning for what? For salvation, which we think is just the beginning part, which he kind of mentions it as the beginning part, right? But then he says what? Through sanctification. So there's the second part. Verse 14 is going to get to the third part, but let's talk about sanctification here for a little bit. What does he say about sanctification? Like this is all part of God's plan, that, that you would be saved and that you would be sanctified. And how are you going to be sanctified? It's by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Okay, what is truth? We would, Jesus would tell us in, in, in the Gospels that, that his word is truth. Okay, so, so I don't think there's any stretch here to say your sanctification is going to happen by the power of God and his Spirit and, and, the, and the word of God in your life. What does that mean? It means when you go to small group, they're going to ask you how your day's been. They're going to ask you how your life's been. They're going to ask you how your kids are doing. Like all those questions are fair game. But at some point for us, it's about 25 minutes in. We say, all right, what are you reading your Bible? Like, like what are you not, not just what you heard about the Bible, not just what someone preached on about the Bible. Like, what are you personally reading about in your Bible? What have you dug into? What are you learning? Why? Because, because Paul's telling us here. Our sanctification is what? It's based on the spirit and it's based on truth. And so what do we want to do? We want to consume more truth. We want to be people of the word. Okay, notice verse 14 then. Here's this idea of justification, initial salvation, however you want to word that. There's sanctification. And then there's verse 14. And it was for this he called you through our gospel. Why? That you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I think what Paul's doing here is he's reminding this beat up, worn down church. Like this is, this is not your end. Your end isn't persecution, chapter 1. Your end isn't the man of lawlessness doing his thing. Like, like Jesus wins. And because Jesus wins, because the gospel is true, what do we get? Verse 14, we get glory. We get eternity with the Father. We get, we get eternity in a resurrected body. We look like Jesus. We are heirs of, of the King. And Paul takes their eyes off of the here and now, and he's reminding them that, that God didn't just save you to, to make your life miserable through persecution today. Like, he saved you for the here and now and, and for a relationship with him, and one day that's going to be all glorification. Like, there will be glory ahead. And so Paul's reminding them of this. Like, like Jesus didn't forget you. You've been saved. You're being sanctified. We know one day you will be glorified. Like, rejoice in that you haven't been forgotten. Verse 15 then. What do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that God chose us? What do we do with the fact that, that God's sanctifying us? What, what, do we, what do we do with all this? Verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught. Okay, let's, let's talk about the one word that some of you already dislike. Right? The word tradition. And, and some of you don't like tradition in the church setting. Some of you don't like tradition in any setting. It's like, hey, uh, my friends, they do this every year at Christmas, and you're like, I hate it. Like, I hate tradition. Right? And so for some of us, we're, we're already like, Paul, I don't want tradition. Like, I don't want tradition at Thanksgiving. I don't want tradition on Christmas. I don't want tradition for a birthday. Like, if we could just be different every day of the year, that'd be great. Okay? The word tradition here has nothing to do with what we think of tradition. Right? When we think of tradition, it's like, in the church context, some of us grew up in a church that was very traditional. What does that mean? It means if you asked a question why we do this, the answer was probably because we've always done it. Like, oh, that's just what we always do. Right? And, and for some of us, that didn't sit well. Okay, tradition here in this text, the Greek word, what does it mean? It means that which was taught. Context probably orally. Okay, if you go back 2,000 years ago, they, this, is, this doesn't happen. Right? There's no Bible. Like, there's a good chance the New Testament consists of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Some of the Gospels. 
right? Like there's no New Testament. They have the Old Testament, which they probably don't even have a copy of for themselves. So this word tradition is this idea that you've heard it. It's been spoken to you. Notice what he says. That, that you would stand firm and hold to these traditions. We'll talk about that in just a second. Whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. My understanding of that would be what? Whether you heard somebody say, hey, here's what Paul said. Paul talked to me. I had a conversation with Paul. Let me relay the message to Paul. Or somebody stood up and read a letter from Paul himself. But most likely it would not be the person sitting here reading the text. And so this word tradition has nothing to do with tradition like we think tradition, as much as it means what was orally taught to you, which was handed down to you. Okay, so what does he say then? Verse 15. He says, stand firm and hold to what? Hold to that which was taught to you from the, from the truth of scriptures. Like we're going to cling to that. Okay, so, so going back to in the beginning of chapter 2, what does he say? Verse 1 and 2 in that area, verse 2 I guess specifically, he says what? About Jesus' second coming. It's like, you were so quickly shaken. You were disturbed. And, it, and what is Paul saying here in verse 15? He's like, we should not be that way. Right? We would cling to, we would hold fast, we would stand firm in what is true. We want to be in the Word, we want to know the Word, we want to stand firm in what God has told us. Okay, then we get to, looks like more of his prayer, verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God our Father, he's going to describe God. Right, like, we got a lot of descriptions of God in the Bible, the whole Bible tells us about God. I, here's what he says, to a, to a worn down possibly beat up, maybe discouraged church. Here's who God is, who loved us. He's given us eternal comfort, not temporary comfort, not momentary comfort, not you know, easy life type of comfort, but like real comfort. And he's given us good hope by grace. I don't know how we come in here today thinking about God. For some of us, we come in thinking about God of, of lightning and fire and brimstone, and yet Paul would say to the church that's beat up, that's struggling, that's trying to live and trying to build a kingdom and trying to do these things for God, and, and yet struggles, he would remind them that here's a God who loves you, who gives us comfort and gives us hope. That word for, for good there, other translations might have a different word. The Greek is this idea joyful. Like you persecuted church, you beat up church, you worn down church, you can have joy because of the hope that God gives you. Like it would be a hope in God that would produce joy. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying this is who God is. And I'm asking the God who loves us, who comforts us, and gives us joyful hope. I'm going to ask him to do something. Verse 17, here's what I want him to do for you, church. To comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. Right, like, like in the midst of man of lawlessness, in the midst of the mystery of lawlessness that's in the world today, like we've seen it. All the characteristics that we walked through last week of the man of lawlessness are happening in our culture and our world today. In, in, in Sarasota, Florida, you go across the world and pick some random spot on the map, some island of like no one ever goes to, and the mystery of lawlessness is still happening. Right? So it's, it's okay? So, so in a culture that's just surrounded by this, what is Paul's prayer? He said that there would be comfort. A reminder that Jesus wins. A reminder that evil does not win. And that he would what? He would strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. We've talked about this before. This is nothing new. Uh, we've talked about it last series in 1 Thessalonians. We've talked about it in Ephesians. We've talked about it somewhere on the Mount. Like, this is nothing new. But God saved us so that we would go do good. Right? We don't do good in order to receive salvation, but we do good because God has been good to us. And so we want to return the favor. I don't know that's the wrong word. Pass it along, whatever that looks like. But God, who's good to us, we want to show that goodness to other people. Right? And so what does he say here, though? In verse 17, his prayer is what? That God would strengthen your heart in every good work. 
Can we recognize that doing good in a culture that doesn't care about doing good is not easy? Like, can we just recognize that? Like, like doing good, like forget being public and social media and like trying to be a presence there in a culture that hates God. I'm thinking like going across the street. Like, like sometimes it's hard to do good to the neighbor. Sometimes it's hard to do good to the, to the, per, the coworker that no one at work likes. Like if, if the boss had to lay people off, like everyone's voting for him. Start with that guy. Right? Like sometimes that's the hardest part to do good. Sometimes a family member. Like, like sometimes it's, it's, I'm not thinking change the world with, with some grandiose idea. I'm thinking about doing good in the context of your life that you're living. What does Paul say? He says you need the power of God. Like you're not going to do this in your own strength. You need God to strengthen your hearts so that you can go and do good things. But he doesn't just end there. What does he say? He also says and word. The idea of good would go both to work and word. Right? So, so you do something good for the neighbor, and yet the whole time you're with the neighbor, all you do is gossip about all the other neighbors. Like somehow we just shot ourselves in the foot, I feel like. So, so what is Paul saying? He's saying, I want you, church, to be strengthened, to go out and do good, and I want you to be strengthened to go out and, and speak good. Probably not right English. Uh, but you get the idea, right? We're going we're gonna to speak beautiful and loving, and, and we're going to share the gospel, and we're going to do these things. Okay, so just put pause right here. We're going to dive in chapter 3, but pause just for a second. Like when we think, how do we pray for other people in this church? Right? Like help them have a good day. Uh, maybe help them as they parent their kids, which is obviously needed. But I wonder how often it's, we pray as 17. God, comfort them. Comfort them in the midst of their parenting where, where man, they got a nine-year-old and they're not sure what to do with them. Right? Like strengthen them in the midst of their parenting. Strengthen them in their neighborhood. Strengthen them in their work. Strengthen them like, with what's going on. And like, like, God, strengthen their hearts and they might do good. Like Paul gives us a prayer in verse 17 that I think we should be praying for one another. All right, chapter three. Finally, the word finally, again, just the Greek to English. Sometimes there's a struggle. Uh, it can mean finally. So that's a fair translation. I'm not saying it's a poor translation. It can mean it. But, and maybe Paul's just given to, to like pastor talk where you say finally and then you go on for 20 more verses. Uh, maybe. But, but the word can also have this idea of like next. Um, this is my interpretation of it. Like if I were going to write my own translation, which you would never would read because it'd be poor. Uh, but my idea would be like, while I'm thinking about it, right? So it's not necessarily finally as much as like, while we're on this topic. So, so here we're going to pray for you. Uh, while we're on that topic, brethren, I want you to pray for us. Okay, just, just stop and think about this for a second. Like I, who are, think of some religious, religious is a long word. Think of some spiritual, uh, that's not strong enough either. Some sort of Christian leader that you like in America that you think is doing good things. Right? And, and they, they write a letter to Gospel Community of Sarasota. Right? Their church, maybe it's a church of thousands, whatever, whatever your thought is of this guy, right? And, and he writes a letter to the, to the, to the church of, of, of Gospel Community of Sarasota. This isn't very big, right? We recognize that. Uh, we, cool building, right? Funeral home, that's pretty cool. Uh, like, right? and, and, and his thought there is like, hey, I want to encourage you, and I want you to pray for us. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the Church of Thessalonians thought. We don't have a letter from Thessalonica back to Paul, so I don't know. But part of me wonders, like, really, Paul? We feel beat up. We feel worn down. We feel like we're maybe not making much of a difference. Like, like if, if there's anybody that should be praying for you, Paul, it's probably not us. Like, we're weak. We're fragile. We, you just had to lecture us on chapter 2 about why we're, we're believing false things. Like, Paul, you, you want us? Like, yeah, we want us. We just talked about that in verse 13 of chapter 2. 
Like God wants you. God has a plan for you. Like, like part of building the kingdom is that we're praying for you and that you would pray for us. And I don't know. For me, it would be like mind-blowing to, to be reading a letter from Paul and Paul's like, hey, guys, we desperately covet your prayers. Right? And what are we going to pray for Paul? We're going to pray for other churches. We're going to pray for other people sitting in this room. Well, Paul tells us, he says, pray for us. How? In what way? That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified. Right? I mean, shouldn't it be a shock to us? Read through the letter or the, the book of Acts. It's not a shock. Like, like everywhere Paul went, this, the gospel seemed to spread rapidly and be glorified. Right? Notice what he says, though. Like, I think this is still mind-blowing. End of verse 1. Just as it did also with you. Like, church in Thessalonica, you might feel worn down. You might feel beat up. You might, you're persecuted. You're, there's false teaching. Like, all these things seem to go, be going wrong. And Paul just labeled you there at the end of verse 1. Like, like if we could have a formula, and a formula is the wrong word. If we could have a, a result that, that we're going for, it's what, what we experience with you in Thessalonica. Like in the midst of, of not believing even what's true in chapter 2. Like, like you've missed out on Jesus' return and these different lies that you've believed. And Paul's like, if we could, could just set up some sort of model, like we would want, we would want it to look like you. Man, I would, I would think that letter came to us. It would be like, oh, there's so many things we probably could do better. Like, Paul, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Kind of. Uh, we're struggling, man. I don't know if you want all the churches to look like us. We got our ups. We got our downs. And yet Paul would be like, no, church, we, we want your prayers and we want the, the word of the Lord to go forth and we want to go forth rapidly and be glorified just like it did with you. Verse 2, Paul's prayer for, Paul's prayer request for himself, those with him, continues, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. Idea there would just be those who would hinder the gospel. Here's people who are going to try, try and hinder the, the gospel going forth. He's going to slow down the gospel. Like, what do we want to do? We just want to be delivered for them. He doesn't say that he wants them to be destroyed. He doesn't say he wants them to, to burn forever. Like, he just says, we're going to try and spread the gospel, and we want to do so in such a way that it would spread rapidly. And so anyone who's going to be in the way, we just ask that God would deliver us from them. What's interesting is, if you go through the book of Acts, Paul's in prison. Why? To slow down the spread of the gospel. And yet the Philippian jailer and his whole household get saved. Paul's shipwrecked. Paul goes to Rome. Paul's in prison. Like, it seems like Paul's prayer request isn't answered. Because it seems like all the time you're being delivered to perversion evil men. And yet the first part of the prayer request is, seems to always be answered and that the gospel always goes forth. To the point in Philippians, he would say that the whole Praetorian Guard in Rome has heard in the name of Jesus. Like, hey, Paul, stop preaching the gospel. We're going to put you in prison. Sweet. I got a new crowd to preach to. Right? Anyway, let's keep going. Verse 3, he's, he's going to kind of transition back. Okay, so, so in my mind, finally, there in verse 1 is this, while I'm thinking about it, pray for us. Verse 3 is now he's going to go back to, back to the church in Thessalonica. But the Lord is faithful. Right? Not all men have faith. So, so he's playing on this idea here. Not all men are faithful. Not all men have this faith. Not all men are good. All these things. But the Lord is faithful. And, and what do we believe the Lord is going to do in verse 3 is he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We just recognize that we've seen the word strengthen twice already. Right? Paul's prayer is that, that you would be strengthened. Paul's Paul belief, he's confident that what? That God's going to strengthen the church. So, so if we're just keeping track here of words, I would think that maybe praying for strength would be a, a bigger part of our prayer life. I mean, it's what I'm going to start praying for you. I'll just put it that way. Right? But he says what? God will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Like, like no matter what happens, 
man of lawlessness, chapter 2, persecution, chapter 1, no matter what happens, evil does not win. No matter what happens, you will not be taken out of God's hands. No matter what happens, that Jesus wins. Paul's confident of that. Why? Because God is faithful. Verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. I find that interesting because, again, I'm, I'm reading into the text here. This is nowhere in the text, but just me reading into the text, I feel like here's a church that probably doesn't have much confidence. Paul's like, we got confidence. Like, looking at you, we're confident that God's going to do a work. Like, you're in the right spot at the right time for such a time as this. Like, God's going to do something through you. And I feel like the church is probably like, oh, Paul, you have much more confidence in us than we do. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, what? That you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Okay, what did, what did Paul command? Just think back to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. That you're going to worship God differently than how Thessalonians worship their gods? Right? You're not going to do it that way. You're going to rejoice, you're going to give thanks, you're going to pray, you're going to love one another, like you're going to be unified. Like all these commands that just shotgun, rapid fire that he did in chapter 5. Like, what is Paul saying? He says, we're confident that you're going to, you're going to live it out. You've already been living it out. Sure, there's a, a mess up that Jesus returned. Right, we got that, but let's fix that and let's keep going because you're doing what we commanded you to do and we're confident that God's going to continue to use you. So in this idea of like, how do you build the kingdom of God? I think Paul's saying you've already been doing it. You've already been living it out. Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, this is what it looks like to build the kingdom of God. You're doing it and we're confident that God's going to allow you to keep doing it and strengthen you to that you would continue to live out this, this kingdom, build his kingdom. Okay, now we get to verse 5. Last verse for us this morning. Sounds much more prayerish again. So, so there's this prayer that we would say in verse 17 of chapter 2, 16 and 17, of comfort and strength. Like that seems to be more of the prayer. Pray for us that the word of God goes forth rapidly. And then here in verse 5 seems to be this prayer again. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. That word direct is just means to clear the way, to, to remove the hindrances. So, so may the Lord clear the way. May the Lord uh, tune your heart towards what? Towards the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. He's already, he's already, he's already shared this with them, right? Chapter 2, verse 16, like you're beloved by God and here's what that looks like. He saved you, sanctifying you. One day he will glorify you. But what is Paul's prayer then? His prayer is that you would recognize more and more of the love of God. Like I, I would say, praise God, I recognize more of his love today than when I first believed in him when I was five. Like, like there's been growth in that. I think Paul's praying for that. I think he's praying that we would recognize the, the steadfastness or the endurance of Christ. Philippians 2, he, he would endure the cross, suffering the shame despising the shame, like, like we would recognize these things, we'd grow in that, but I don't think the prayer is just that we would know more about them. I think the prayer is that these, this would change our life. Right? As we learn more about the love of God, as we experience more of the love of God, as we talk more about it, as, as these things grow in our life, what does that translate to? It translates to us being more loving to other people. As we understand Christ and his steadfastness and his endurance and what he endured for us, for, the, for submitting to the will of the Father, what does that translate into? It translates into us being more of a, a steadfast, enduring type of people. So what is Paul doing? He's saying, hey, you church that's beat up, you church that's persecuted, you church that's going through these things, what do we want? We want steadfastness. We want endurance. We don't want you to quit. We don't want you to give up. And so what do we want you to do? Is we want you to see the love of God. We want you to see the steadfastness of Christ. Like, may those things be real in your life. And may it change how you live. So for us then, what do we do with, with this prayer that Paul has in chapter 2 and chapter 3? 
I've already shared a little bit, but for me, it's, it's changing how I'm going to pray for people. Right? Like, like, how do I pray for somebody in this room? How do I pray for guys in my small group? How, do I, how am I going to pray for this? I'm, I'm going to pray that God's going to strengthen you. Like, for sure. We've, we've seen that multiple times in this text. I'm going to pray that God's going to strengthen you. Because, because we can't go do the good works on our own. We can't speak the good words on our own. Like, we need God to come and, and strengthen us and give us his grace and his power to go live this life to build his kingdom. I'm going to pray here in verse 5. I'm going to pray that the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ would be more real in your life. Like, like may we get a better grasp of that. And may it not just end with a better grasp, but may it, may it change how we live, how we interact with others. I'm going to pray Paul's prayer. As, as this person is in their neighborhood, may the gospel spread rapidly in that neighborhood. Like, and I'm going to tell you, I, saying those words out of mouth, it doesn't seem very, I'm already doubting the prayer. Let me just put it that way. Like, if you were to pray that Bart and Casey, I'm praying for them, I pray the gospel would spread rapidly in Otter Creek Estates. Part of me is like, that's a good prayer. You have more faith than I do. And that's what Paul would say. And so this morning for us, how do we pray? How do we pray for one another? How do we pray for God's will, God's kingdom to be built? Uh, Paul gives us, I think, a great model to follow. And so may that be true of us. May we be people who would pray like Paul would pray. All that being said, let's pray, and then we'll have a discussion group here in just a moment. I'm going to pray over us this passage pretty much. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his work that he did on the cross and his resurrection. We thank you for the salvation that we have in him. We thank you for the sanctification that you are doing in us today. We, we long for the day of glorification. Father, in the here and now, I pray that you would comfort us. Comfort us as we, we try to live this life you've called us to live, and yet we recognize that we fail and we struggle. So God, I pray you'd bring your comfort. God, I pray that you would strengthen us. May the Christian life not just be something that we, we endure, but, but that we would, we would accomplish your will. We would, we would thrive. We would go forth boldly. I pray that you would strengthen us to go out and do good works. I pray that you would strengthen us to go out and, and say beautiful, good things for your glory. God, I pray that the gospel would spread forth rapidly. I pray that this city, this town, that our neighborhoods, that the gospel would spread forth rapidly, that your word would be glorified. You've done it before. You did it in a city of Thessalonica that wanted nothing to do with you, that worshipped all different kinds of gods in all different horrible ways, and, and you, you, you took some, and, and the gospel was planted in them, and they believed, and God, we ask you to do it again. May your word go forth rapidly in our neighborhoods. And God, we ask. We ask that you'd help us to grow in our understanding and the knowledge of your love for us. May we love others as you have loved us. God, we ask that you'd help us to understand and, and realize the, the endurance that Christ showed while he was here on earth. God, may we be a church. May we be people who endure, who have steadfastness. Help us not to give up. Help us not to quit. Help us not to stop building your kingdom. We thank you that we get to be a part of this kingdom-building process. We thank you that, that you have called us to that. So, God, give us your strength and empower us to do it, even this week. Give us the opportunities to see your kingdom grow. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.